Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. Well, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 9 this morning, and I want you to imagine something with me. Kind of go back in your mind, pretend with me. Imagine that you grew up in a family who made the best buggy whips in the world. I love that moment. They were easy to use, and with a simple snap of the wrist, they made just the right crack so that you never even had to touch the horse to get them moving. They were easily trained to respond to the sound. And your family's made these buggy whips for generations. They're a part of your history. When people think buggy whip, they think your last name. You with me? All right. Now, times are changing, and horses are becoming less and less the main mode of transportation. Automobiles are taking their place, and a friend of yours has recently purchased a car. One afternoon, he or she drives up to your house in a new 1913 Studebaker Model 25 Roadster. If you know what that is, it's a really cool-looking convertible. And they ask you if you'd like to go for a ride. Well, you say, sure, you go, and it's absolutely amazing. Now, halfway through the ride, they stop, and your, friends ask, your friend asks if you want to take a shot at trying to drive. You're thrilled at the thoughts. You're like, okay. Please switch seats. Get settled in. Then you pull out your buggy whip. (laughs) And you crack it in the air above the front of the car. And nothing happens. Puzzled, you crack it again, just a little harder this time. And still... Nothing happens. You look over at your friend, who by now is staring at you (laughs) with a look of bewilderment, and you say, why won't it go? Your friend kindly reaches over, carefully, takes the buggy whip and says, buddy, those days are over. You can still use your whip when you're using a horse, but not when you're driving a car. You know, as dumb as that story is, it might make a good point. In today's passage, Jesus is asked a question that's about as off as trying to use a whip to get a car going. And his response is something that I think we need to hear. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what he's saying as we look at it together. Father God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of each one of our hearts, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will cause them to be pleasing to you. King Jesus, our rock and our redeemer, amen. So just to look at those four verses again. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, 
and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled, the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so both are preserved. Okay, some context. Fasting was a well-rooted liturgical practice in Judaism, typically embraced by God's people when they were in mourning or seeking forgiveness for sin. Okay? If they were in mourning or seeking forgiveness, fasting was often a part of their lives. At the time when Jesus was asked this question by John's disciples, a common practice of the Pharisees was to fast twice a week. It was to symbolize a humility, a mourning of sin, and a regard for God and his law. And maybe this is why John's disciples are confused. Why don't your disciples keep with the traditions that so many of us embrace? Don't you all humble yourselves, confess and repent your sins before God? Don't you teach your followers to do this, Jesus? For their context's sake, we have to remember that John the Baptist, their great rabbi, preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. His disciples are confused by the free, less morose disposition of Jesus and his disciples. They didn't realize how Jesus' coming had taken John's ministry to the next level. How John's work was to decrease now at the coming of Jesus' work. Because Jesus had come to fulfill all God had said to and through the prophets, including John. You see, Jesus calls us to repentance as well. But if you really want to get what Jesus is calling us to, you have to understand that he's calling us through repentance to an abundant life, not just to repentance. John's disciples didn't understand this, so they were kind of saying, hey, why aren't y'all using the buggy whip? They were stuck in another way of thinking. Jesus responds thoughtfully, comparing his disciples to guests at a wedding and himself to the bridegroom, reminding them how out of place or inappropriate it would be for them to be mournful or downcast, which were common dispositions in fasting at such a time. They, it, wouldn't, it would be out of place. And they would have understood that a wedding was a celebratory time, not a time of mourning and penitence. He also tells them how there will be a time for fasting again after he's gone away. But not now. Not with the one for whom they've longed, standing in their midst. He wants them to come to understand who he is and to adjust their lives to live accordingly. You know, Interesting thing, Studebaker, the car company that made the Roadster I mentioned earlier, wasn't always an automobile company. The Studebaker brothers had been successful blacksmiths making parts used for building horse-drawn wagons and carriages since around 1852. 
But as things began to progress around them, they realized the change was coming and automobiles would be the way of the future. So they dipped into the wealth they had made over the years and hired more specialized metal workers. And in 1902, the Studebaker Automobile Company was born. They put on an electric car that year. 1904, they put out a gasoline engine. And by 1913, when the Model 25 Roadster that I spoke of was built, only Henry Ford was out producing them. Times were changing, and they had adjusted to live accordingly. Our Old Testament reading this morning gives us another picture of someone who had made this kind of needed adjustment. It was a reference to a scene in the life of the prophet Elijah. He was meeting with God on Mount Horeb, the same place where God had met his people hundreds of years earlier during the Exodus in a terrifying display of his power, so great that if you read about it in Exodus 19, when God speaks and the the thunder and the blasts happen, the people shrink back and say, Moses, you talk to God. We don't want to talk to God. Elijah knew about this. He would have known this. So he goes to the mountain of God. Yet now, when there's this similar display of terrifying power, the prophet is aware that God's not in those things. Similar things happen, but he knows God's not there. Instead, he senses God's presence in the sound of a low whisper. God was showing up differently than he had before. And Elijah was able to discern this and respond accordingly. Now, such transition as this, this kind of maneuvering adjustment in life, is challenging because it really does require a measure of wisdom, discernment, and courage to follow God and His Spirit instead of trying to get him to meet us on familiar terms. Jesus knows how critically important this is. In the last two verses we looked at, he goes further trying to explain how we really need to understand the importance of adjusting and moving with what God is doing instead of absurdly trying to linger in the past. Cloth that has been washed and dried many times over has already shrunk into a form that it's going to keep, okay? If you sew unshrunk cloth to it, no matter how good the stitch is, it will also have to shrink and come to a form through the washing and drying process and will eventually tear itself and the other cloth in the shrinking process. New wine expands. Gases come off of it as fermentation happens and continues. If you put new wine into old wineskins that have already been stretched to their limit, they'll break as that expansion stretches them beyond what they're accustomed to. A new wineskin is needed so it can expand with the fermentation of the new wine. And these pictures 
Jesus is teaching John's disciples, his disciples around him, and us today, really, how absurd it really is to try and patch what God is doing onto old religious form. Or fit the new wine of the presence of the Holy Spirit into the rigid wineskins of yesterday. It doesn't work. It's never worked. You know, the prophet Isaiah said this from God. I pray you hear it. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know, I I really think God understands our tendency to stay with what we've known. I, I really do. I think he understands that moving dynamically with his spirit is scary to us because of the newness and the unfamiliarity. He gets us. This is why, so you'll understand, every time I pronounce absolution and do the sign of the cross after confession, I'm looking to remind you that because we are in Christ, we are what? new creation not the old form we're able to be available to perceive and do the new thing that God is doing the thing that God means to bring about to us and then through us in the world So just like our ancestors had to transition from horse-drawn carriages or buggies to automobiles to airplanes and forward, we have to transition from some ways we've thought about God, the church, worship, and mission. Some things like fasting and repentance are certainly still a part of our reality, but they're in a new context. They're not in an aching, yearning, looking to reach out and get God's attention. They're more of a stepping back and moving some things out of the way to call us to attention. He's still there. That context of his ever-presence with us was accomplished and completed in the work of the life, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. You do not have to add to that. Ever. Ever. And that's the way we can receive what he's doing now. John's disciples and the Pharisees were at risk of missing this. They were missing it. And Jesus didn't get tired and frustrated and just walk away. He taught He helped them understand, met them where they were. What about us? Well, the first thing I want to say is he's patient with us too. All right? But let's never take advantage of the patience of Jesus and use it as a license to not change. Could we please not do that?
are our past experiences with God and the church, even this church here, even your experiences here, some of them, do they leave you stuck, confused, maybe frustrated? Are you maybe missing God in our midst, doing what he's doing, present with us now as a result? Are things that make us stuck causing us to miss him now? Those of us who serve in leadership here have been prayerfully considering what we see God doing in our midst, and we're asking him to give us loving wisdom, discernment, and courage to follow as he leads. And one thing that we've all agreed upon that's standing out to us is how he's meeting us so richly in worship every week. The singing. That time is sweet. And we believe that he wants us to grow in our understanding of just how astonishingly good it is and how amazingly loving it is that he meets with us this way. It's not to be taken for granted. It's amazing. So, for the next three weeks, we're going to interrupt Matthew. And we're going to have a brief three-week sermon series on worship. Matthew and Micah and I want to share some things we believe the Lord is laying on our hearts. Things we believe are meant to help us better perceive the new thing the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst. Our hope is to honor God and help us. So we hope and pray that you'll come. That with us you'll humble yourself and learn. With us. Because God really is doing some amazing things in our midst, y'all. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But he's doing it. And we want to attend to it. Because the Spirit's calling us deeper into communion with him. So will you, for the next three weeks, join us in praying for loving wisdom, discernment, and courage. Loving wisdom, discernment, and courage to follow him faithfully, not miss it, and trust that if we ask, he'll answer. No more buggy whips and the frustration of the past, okay? God is with us, and he's calling us. It's time for us to move forward. Amen? Amen. You've been listening to the Mission Red Bank Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you, and may God's blessings surround you.